0: Simone Biles is a name you probably have heard this week, haven't you? If you've watched uh, the Olympics at all, she shocked the world by withdrawing from the gymnastic finals at the Olympics. The one thing she had worked for years and years and years to do. She's the top gymnast of the world. She is rightly called the goat in her, in her sport. And yet she withdrew from the Olympics because of what is called the twisties. The twisties is the mental block that causes gymnasts, even at the top of their game like Biles, to lose control of their bodies in midair. They get to the point where they have forgotten what they've learned to do, and in in midair they're trying to figure out where am I, what am I supposed to do next, and because of that, she withdrew. She found out that the biggest challenge that she had was not the Russians at the Olympics. The biggest challenge that she had, her greatest challenge was in her own head. Sometimes our biggest battles are not what we're facing. Sometimes the biggest battles of all is within us. Few stories in the Bible illustrate that better than the story of the battle of Jericho. Would you open God's word with me to Joshua chapter 5? Joshua chapter 5. Here's what we're going to learn today. And again, I'm trying to fast forward through my notes and and we're just going to hit some of the high spots. But here's what we're going to learn today. The battle of Jericho, the real battle, was not Jericho. The biggest battle of all was in the heart of the people who were to walk around Jericho. That was the greatest battle of all. So we pick up the story, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Apparently Joshua is doing some recon work. He's trying to figure out, he's trying to decide how are we going to conquer Jericho. And so he goes out perhaps all by himself to look at the city and to try to get a plan of battle, plan of attack. And as he goes out, he meets a man who looks like a huge soldier, and he's got a drawn sword. More than likely, Joshua draws his sword as well, and he stands up against him and he asks this question, Are you for us, or are you for them? Which side are you on? And this person, and we'll look in a moment at who this was, this person said, I am not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. Because this person is referred to as the Lord or, or, or as the commander of the Lord's army. Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, who was this commander of the Lord's army? Well, there's at least three possibilities. Some would say that, that this is a theophany. That is, this is an appearance of God in human form. A theophany, that that was actually God in human form making his appearance. And the reason that God would have done that is because God made this promise to Joshua chapter 1 verse verse 9 when he said, I will be with you wherever you go. You will never be alone. So doesn't it make sense that as they're about to attack Jericho that God shows up? To reaffirm, I am with you like I always promised I would be. Some say that it was a theophany. Others say, no, no, it's not a theophany. It's a Christophany or a Christophany. That is an appearance of Christ himself. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Making his presence known to Joshua. That may be the case as well. Or, at the very least, it might have been, at the very least, it would have been an angel of the Lord. That God sent an angel to Joshua to reaffirm to him the plans that he had. God sent to Joshua this angel, this commander of the Lord's army, to basically say this, I am not here to help you, I am here to lead you. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't just need God's help, we need God's guidance. Do we not? We don't just need God to kind of come in and, and be, you know, second fiddle. We need God to come in and take over. And that's what the angel of the Lord said. I am here to take over. But I think the biggest reason that the angel of the Lord, whoever that might have been, I think the biggest reason that this person showed up was to show Joshua that he is second in command. In fact, look at the text. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground. In reverence, verse 14. He fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? God was showing Joshua, you are second in command. And Joshua understood this. And I want to say to every father and to every mother and to every leader and to every pastor, we need to remind ourselves that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are second in command. At the very best... We are second in command. Our goal and our purpose is not to do our will. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, our goal and our purpose is to do His will. And by bowing down and removing his sandals, Joshua is acknowledging that this is God's battle. And this is God's plan. And so Joshua says, verse 15, The commander Uh, What message, verse 14, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is what? What's that next word, church? Take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, if you remember back in Exodus, remember I've told you as we've started this series that there's this transition between Moses to Joshua. Here's another example of that. When God called Moses at the burning bush, he said, Take off your shoes, your sandals, because the place you're standing is holy ground. And he says the same thing to Joshua. Take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. God was about to lead him and to lead all the people into this battle of Jericho. Now, so we come to chapter 6, verse 1, and we read these words. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in, which is fascinating to read. Jericho, by the way, did you know that Jericho is the oldest city in the world? I've been there several times, and when you go there, it's amazing to think that you can still see the ruins of the old city of Jericho. There's a modern-day Jericho as well nearby, but you can still see the ruins of the old city Jericho, the oldest city in the world. Not only is it the oldest city in the world, it's also known for its fortification. It's known for its massive walls, or it was known for its massive walls. It was the earliest known walled city in the world. In fact, let me remind you that when the Israelites went in to check out the promised land the first time under Moses, and they came back to give the report, do you remember what they said to Moses and to all the people? Deuteronomy 128, the people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large with walls up to the sky. Probably we're talking about Jericho. These cities are huge, and they have walls up to the sky. But now, this fortified, walled city, the oldest city in the world, now is closed for fear of the Israelites. More specifically, for fear of the Israelites' God. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out, and no one came in. And then verse 2, this is underlined in red in my Bible. You might want to get your pen or pencil handy to underline it as well. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered, past tense. Not I will, not I plan to. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. The tense of the Hebrew verb there is prophetic, per- perfect. Prophetic, perfect. Let me tell you what that means. He is describing a future action as if it has already been accomplished. Prophetic perfect. Describing a future action as if it's already been accomplished. You see, in a very real sense, the battle was over before it started. And the reason it was over before it started is because God declared, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands all Joshua and his people had to do was to claim the promise of God and obey the Lord and they would take Jericho easy right no not really in fact let's read the next passage and I want you to read this as best you can like you've never read it before I want you to hear the story like you've never heard it before let's pretend that this is new information for us and read what happens Verse 2, he says, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Verse 3, here's the battle plan. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets and have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will Collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. Try to imagine how absurd that must have sounded from a military standpoint. God instructed the Jews to do a number of very unusual things, and none of those things had any military value whatsoever. When you look at the things that are listed, it's just mind boggling what He's asking these people to do. Can I summarize it for you this way? God said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how we're going to conquer Jericho. You ready? Here's the battle plan. Marching, blowing horns, and shouting. I mean, that sounds more like something you see at a football game than a battleground. If you go to a Clemson game next month or a Carolina game next month, you're likely to see marching and blowing horns and shouting. But it's not the kind of thing you'd expect to do if you're going to go conquer a walled city like Jericho. There are two strong hints in the text that God was going to give them the victory. The first hint was how God put himself in the middle of the battle plan. We're going to read kind of a long passage, but I want to give you something to look for as we're reading. Verses 4 through 13, I want you to notice how God included himself in the battle plan. And he included himself with this phrase. You'll either see it this way, the ark, the ark of the covenant, or the ark of the Lord. I want you to see how many times you see that. How many times God puts himself in the battle plan as we begin reading in verse 4. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go go up, every man straight in. So, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun. Called the priests and said to them, "Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it." And he ordered the people, "Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of going ahead of what church? All right, just want to make sure you're still with me. Follow verse eight. When when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them verse 9 the armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark and all this and all this time the trumpets were sounding but joshua had commanded the people do not give a war cry do not raise your voices do not say a word until the day i tell you to shout then shout So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, and then the people returned to the camp and spent their night there. And Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets, and the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. Again and again and again and again and again. We see God including himself in the battle plan. You see, watch this. They were not just marching. They were following God. They were not just marching around Jericho. They were following God around Jericho. Because the Ark of the Covenant was the sign of God's presence. They had followed God across the Jordan River. Now it was time to follow God to victory at Jericho. So the first hint that God was going to give them victory was how God included himself in the battle plan. And the second hint was the number seven that we see so prominently throughout this story. Seven is God's number. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. And in this story, we read about seven priests, and seven trumpets, seven days, and seven trips around the city. It was the number that signifies completion. God had promised to conquer the city, and God was going to bring that promise to completion. So the second hint that God was going to do something special at Jericho was this this number seven being used over and over and over. It was all a test, though, really. And they were testing one thing. Listen to me. Here's what what God was testing. He was testing them to see if they would be obedient. How much do I trust God? That was the question. How much do I trust God? The real battle of Jericho was not against the Canaanites. The real battle was in the heart of the people of God. Would they believe what God said? And would they obey what God says? And don't miss this. The secret to success at Jericho was not Joshua's military genius. It was not Joshua's military might. The victory at Jericho was because the people fully obeyed and trusted God. How much do you trust God? And when was the last time you demonstrated your trust? By following Him. Robert Morrison was the first Protestant missionary to China. Years and years ago, back in the days before they had the jet airplanes to go to China, they had to get on a ship to go there. And Robert Morris, a Protestant pastor, got on a ship for China to set sail to follow God all the way to China as the first missionary there. One day the captain of the ship, as they were crossing across the ocean, the captain of the ship came to him and in conversation discovered who he was and what he was and why he was going to China. And the captain of the ship asked rather disparagingly, what do you think you're going to do there? Convert China? Robert Morris quietly said, no sir, I don't think I'll ever convert China, but I think God will. And that's the same kind of faith that brought down the walls of Jericho. I think God will. I want to give you in closing two strong lessons for your life and mine. Here's the lessons from the battle of Jericho. Number one, the only way to fully understand what God is doing is to obey Him. Joshua could not fully understand this battle strategy until it was all over. You know what perspective is? Perspective is what you get after you obey God. After you obey God, you can look back and see what He did. After you obey God, you can look back and see how it all worked out. After you obey God, you can look back and understand what He was doing. Perspective is always on the other side of obedience. What you and I need to understand is the only way to fully understand what God is doing is to obey Him. And some of you are perhaps in a situation right now where you're trying to figure out this doesn't make sense. You're trying to figure out, should I take this step? If God speaks to you through his word, if God is directing you and calling you, you will never fully understand it until you obey him. Lesson number two is this. The only way to fully experience what God is doing is to obey him. When you obey God, you get what God can do. But when you trust yourself, you get what you can do. The only way to really experience what God can do, the only way to experience God's power, is to decide you're going to obey Him. Now here's how a verse in the New Testament summarizes the battle of Jericho. I want to close with this. Would you go to the New Testament and find the book of Hebrews? Over in the New Testament, find the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, of course, is that great chapter of faith that describes the heroes of faith, the hall of faith, some have called it, Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see what it says about Jericho in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. When I was meditating on that verse this week, I was struck, by the, first of all, by the fact that it says the walls of Jericho fell by faith. If I was writing the verse, I think I would have written it like this. By the power of God, the walls of Jericho fell. And we know it was the power of God that caused the walls to collapse. We we don't doubt that at all, but that's not what's emphasized. The thing that's emphasized is not the power of God. The thing that was emphasized was that the walls fell by faith in the power of God. But then there was another word that caught my attention. It's right in the middle of the verse. I, I don't think I've ever seen this word before. Or at least I haven't noticed it before. Let me read it to you again. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And then what's that next word? After. I, I never noticed that. Look what it says. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Can I give you Shorter's translation? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had obeyed God for seven days. The real battle of Jericho was the battle of obedience. The battle of trusting God enough to obey Him. And here's what the Bible says. Notice in verse 30, it says, The people had marched around Jericho for how long? Seven days. So look up here for a moment. Can I tell you what happened? On day one, they got up and they marched around the city of Jericho and then they went back to the camp. On day two, guess what they did? They got up, marched around the city of Jericho and went back to the camp. On day three, can anybody guess what they did? They got up, marched around the city of Jericho and went back to the camp. On day four, it was an exciting day. They got up, they marched around the city of Jericho, and they went back to the camp. On day five, somebody had to say, not again. I don't know, but I know this. On day five, they got up, marched around the city of Jericho, and they went back to the camp. And on day six, they got up and they marched around the city of Jericho and they went back to the camp. And here's my question: What do you think would have happened if they'd stopped on day three? Or if they'd stopped on day five? Or what do you think would have happened if they had stopped on day six? Or what do you think would have happened if they'd stopped on day seven on the fourth trip around? You know what would have happened? Nothing. Nothing. And sometimes the reason we don't see God do more is because we stop marching and stop following. You might just be one more day away from seeing God do that which you need Him to do desperately. Your responsibility is not to figure it all out. Your responsibility is to follow God every day. You see, if I can put it to you this way, the reason the walls of Jericho fell is because they got up and followed God on day one, and then they had the audacity to get up and follow God again on day two, and then they had the audacity to get up and do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You know what they are showing? Look up here. You know what they are showing? God, I really do trust you. 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 I do trust you. I really do trust you. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after, after they had marched around them. For seven days. The problem is not the size of the walls. The problem is the size of our faith. Do I trust Him enough to obey Him today? And do I trust Him enough to do it again tomorrow? And to do it again tomorrow? And to do it again tomorrow? Where do you suppose we would get a faith like that? Can I tell you what the book says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, by the way, do you know how you say Jesus in Hebrew? Jehoshua. Joshua. Joshua means God saves in Hebrew. If you were to say Joshua's name in Greek, you would say Jesus God saves. The Old Testament Joshua was simply pointing to the New Testament Jesus. And showing us, here's how you have victory. You only have victory when you trust God enough to obey Him. And when you dare to do it again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. There's an old hymn we used to sing that that summarizes it all so well. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen? Let me pray with you. Father, help us today to trust you enough to obey you. And then to do it again tomorrow. And then do it again the next day. And as we walk in faith, following you, we trust you will give us the victories we so desperately need. And it's in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.